0: They're actually con artists because they know how quality this man is and they've destroyed a man's reputation and they want to destroy it even more. And I think people are going to see that in the midterms.
1: There you hear, of course, if you don't know already, the words of our president, Donald Trump, talking about the Supreme Court nomination process. Now, what does that have to do with health care policy? This is the Doctors' Lounge Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, for this week. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. What does the Supreme Court nomination process, as familiar as we are with it these days, have to do with health care policy, which is the mandate of this show? Well, it turns out that our Washington politicians, with all of their malicious talent, both Democrat and Republican, have managed to figure out a way to hurt the health care reform process by using the Supreme Court nomination process to suck up all the oxygen in the room. Uh, with me is Dr. Lee Gross. You've heard him on the show before. I'm delighted to have him. He's the president of our Docs for Patient Care Foundation, and he's going to catch us up with all of his adventures and misadventures in Washington that actually manages somehow to connect the dots between the Supreme Court and healthcare policy. So, Doctor Lee, the floor is yours. Tell us what you know. <laughs> Thanks,
0: Mike. Uh, great chatting with you again. It's uh, been a little while, so uh, appreciate you letting me catch up. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, I guess we've coined a, a new phrase that I was cabinodged today. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, um, as uh, many of your audience may know. Um, I was scheduled to testify uh, uh, in this, actually today, in the uh, Senate Health Committee. That's the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee of the U.S. Senate. Uh, and they were holding a series of hearings on uh, healthcare, uh, reducing health care costs, which is fantastic because up until now, the only conversations in Washington were about coverage. So this is actually one of the first series of, of of conversations about how do you actually reduce the cost of healthcare? What drives the increased cost and what lowers it? So, uh, I was thrilled to, to get that, uh, that invitation to testify. Um, and I know you're a a technology guy, so you'll appreciate this. Thank goodness for my Apple watch because (laughs) I made it all the, I made it all the way to my, uh, uh, my airport two hours away today. Um, and, um, I uh, put all my stuff into the bin, including my phone, and I was about to run it through the airport scanner when my Apple watch started vibrating that I was getting a phone call and so I grabbed my phone out of the bin. it turns out it was Washington calling to cancel the hearing uh, because right. of the mayhem because of the mayhem and madness that uh, uh, was surrounding the, this uh, Supreme Court hearing uh, they just they were concerned for safety they were concerned that nobody was going to be able to attend. Uh, and basically, just sort of indefinitely postponed it. Not sure when we're going to get that scheduled again. But,
1: no, so. well, that's that's so that is so sad. That is so depressing. What what did they get specific about the safety concerns? I, I don't really. I guess I'm just not smart uh, enough to fully grasp that. I mean, yeah. The demonstrators,
0: I mean, I the, the the demonstrators. Um, I guess the safety concern really kind of came in a conversation afterwards. I was talking to one of the to one of the staffers, unrelated specifically to the health committee. Uh, so there were some major protests going on at the Capitol, uh, and and you know they expressed their own personal safety concerns. And these are our hill staffers. Uh, just things are getting pretty raucous up there. Uh, and just really, uh, I just didn't think, you know, they just wanted it. not a, an ideal setting to be holding a, a bipartisan hearing on health care policy when you could put it off to a more, uh, a date down the line where you can actually have a, a real conversation about this. stuff. So, it's unfortunate because, you know, lots of preparation went into this.
1: So uh, tell us what it takes. I mean, this is not just that you just book a plane, cancel your clinic for the day and 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 head up there and have a chat there's a lot more to it than that
0: yeah so so the the instructions were relatively benign basically saying uh submit a written testimony as short or as long as you wish uh followed by a one-page summary and uh be prepared to give a five-minute uh summary uh orally of your testimony And then be prepared for five minutes of questioning by each of the 22 members of the Senate Health Committee. Um, And so I proceeded to prepare about uh, 15 pages of written testimony uh, and tried to come up with a way to explain everything about direct primary care uh, in five minutes and make a, you know, make a a splash uh, for everyone. And then, you know, essentially what you're doing is you're preparing for uh, questions from a panel of people, many of whom uh, intend to be running for president, uh, many of whom are trying to make a, uh, a statement on health care policy. And essentially you're preparing for uh, what the Republicans probably want to be, the closing argument on health care prior to midterms and the, and the Democrats. Basically, saying you know, using this as an example to say why Republicans should no longer uh, control uh, control the conversation on healthcare policy. So you know, to prepare for this uh, requires a lot of, uh, of preparation. Uh, you know, preparation, understanding the content, preparation, uh, just understanding what questions you're going to be asked and how not to sort of, to, you know, walk into a trap. And also, even just getting to the point where you're invited, you have to go through a series of interviews. Uh, initially, just an interview for the person that, that sort of found you. Uh, and then you have to, to go through a, a Republican uh, uh, interview. And then you have to go through the Democrat interview. And if everybody feels like you're a, a, an acceptable witness, then, then the formal invitation comes. And that's when the real preparation starts. So uh, this process played out you know, over the course of probably two months. Uh, to prepare to, to prepare for you know this
1: one hearing well and and, and uh, countless hours of prep i mean it was more than just writing your testimony i'm sure you had to prepare for all possible questions prepare your 5 minute summary i mean it's not one of these things that you can ad lib very much i imagine
0: yeah, well, I like I like to wing it sometimes. So um, <laughs> you're a brave man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not afraid to, sh- to shoot from the hip because you know you never know what the opening statements are going to be like and whether or not you're going to have to sort of to audible and and respond to some uh, some comments. But nonetheless, I of course have. Was was well prepared uh, for this, and so I hope they do reschedule this sometime in the in the not too distant future. So we can it's a shame have a chance.
1: Because you know, I, I and I didn't have a chance, you know, to quote chapter and verse on this. But an article I read recently said that that healthcare policy was the only uh, topic out of a long list of topics that that a majority of American voters in the survey. Said was uh, important to the midterms. It, it came up as number one. Healthcare did. So uh, it's sad. I mean, the odds of, the, of, of seeing this before the midterms is probably zero. Uh, I wish I felt good about your prospects of getting rescheduled at all. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't have high expectations. But um, I want to point out one thing. You know, very clear because you know we're about to have a referendum on basically single payer healthcare. Um, we can call it Medicare for all, although I think that term is, is disingenuous because they're, they're not proposing a Medicare for all type situation. So I, I don't concede that term. Uh, but what I would throw out very simply is if you want your health care controlled by the people that are running the Supreme Court nomination process and confirmation process, then that is single payer health care. Um, those are the same people that will be making your health care decisions for you, the same people that are running the circus up there. Uh, are the people that will decide what gets paid for, what doesn't get paid for, and how much money is allocated to it, uh, and who gets hired and who gets fired to make those decisions and runs that entire system for you. So if you want that to be your only choice in health care, your single payer in healthcare, then, then you should... Then you deserve what you get. What you, get. <laughs> you deserve what you get because, uh, you know, this will play out uh, in every living room uh, across the country, you know, when your healthcare decision and, and, and don't just think this is a Republican thing. I mean, this pendulum will continue to swing back and forth and it may be the Republicans in power now, um, but it's going to be the Democrats in power, um, whether it be midterms or eventually it, it it's going to happen. And so there will be a constant fight uh, over healthcare along the lines of what we're seeing in Washington right now. So, uh, you may be on the winning side of it this time. You'll be on the losing side of it next time. And as a nation, we'll all be on the losing side of it. Uh, so,
1: Well, um, clearly these that. folks, lead, place no value on human life, whether it's the single life of a Supreme Court justice nominee and his spouse and his children and his family and friends. They certainly they, they clearly place political advantage over the life of one person. Uh, they will not hesitate at all to put their own advantage and their own power over the health of every American. There's no no question about it. So if you want a clear example of both competence and intent, uh, just look at what's happening. There's no question about it. And I think that needs
0: to be a, a bipartisan day, because again, it just depends yes. on who, who the person is that, that's putting the, the candidate forward, because you know, again, if it's the Democrats running a smear campaign now, it's the Republicans that do it next time. And again, if you want that to be in the middle of your health care choices, then the single payer is the way to go. But if you want, you know, just if you want, you know, independence, freedom of choice, freedom of choosing your doctors without that nonsense in the middle of your health care decisions, then you need to be supporting the kind of initiatives that we're fighting for.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you and I learned this. Together, well, you quicker than I did, but it, but uh, we learned a long time ago through this process. Uh, we both started off when Obamacare was getting litigated, thinking that we knew who the good guys were and who the bad guys were, uh, and it turns out that we were both wrong. It turns out they're all bad guys. It was a trick question, and. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, you know, it, it, there's no question about it. This is both a Democrat and Republican problem. And, you know, after a dozen trips to D.C., I, I finally had to, to realize that. Well, I think I was probably the last one to figure it out. But, uh, you know, I think we all understand that, you yeah, know, at the moment, you know, one shoe is on the Democrats foot and the others on the Republican foot. But as you aptly pointed out, that can switch over one election. Right. So, yeah. in any case, uh, you know it's it's just disappointing uh, that uh, that you know we're in this position. I, I was I was planning, I was hoping to be talking to you next week about. How the testimony went and and what you learned and who you talked to and, and uh, I was looking forward to pulling sound bites of your testimony and playing them and and saying well what'd you think here, who I reacted to a certain way there, but you know hopefully we 'll get that opportunity sometime in the future. Um, I wish I was optimistic about what that was going to be so you uh, Lee, we 're coming up on the end of this segment we 've got some other things to talk about that you and I talked about, so i 'm hoping you 'll stick around and we can do another thirteen minutes you 're listening to the doctor 's on America's Web Radio. Stay with us.
2: You're listening to America's Web
1: Radio on the Americas Broadcast
2: Network.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to The Doctor's Lounge. Karuchak, your host this week with special guest Dr. Lee Gross, the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So last segment was all about sort of depressing stuff. You were supposed to have been in Washington by now and were supposed to have already testified by now uh, in front of Congress to talk about direct primary care and ways to save money. Instead, we spent the last segment talking about why that didn't happen. Uh, But let's talk about some brighter stuff, because you have made some successful trips to Washington, to the White House, and met with some people and learned some things and taught them some things. So why don't you share that with us and make us all feel a little bit better?
0: Yeah, so uh, good chatting with you again. So, uh, yeah, last week I actually had my fourth visit to the White House uh, in this current administration, Um, and this one was a little bit different. So the first three visits to the White House basically were at my sort of begging, pleading, asking, uh, pulling strings, and seeing however I could possibly get to, to have these meetings. This was the first time that actually the invitation came directly from the White House uh, without uh, any prior prodding on my part. They reached out to us and said, uh, hey, you know, we're holding a, uh, a meeting. We'd like you to, to come to Washington uh, we'd like to attend, and we'd like your feedback on on things. So uh, that was actually, a, I think, a, a big moment for for our organization to actually have, you know, again the the, the executive branch reaching out to us and saying we you know, we think it's worthy to have your opinion on this matter. Uh, so as you as you probably are aware, back in last October, the president issued an executive order uh, on healthcare, and it was basically sort of the, the choice and competition uh executive order He's, he was looking for ways to to uh jiggle the health care system in any way he could um without you know having to involve the legislature and changing laws since clearly at that point obamacare was not going to be repealed uh and he said you know what can we do without passing legislation and so he issued a few uh a, a few directives one was the uh, uh Association health plan rules, uh, allowing the expansion of association health plans, which you and I have talked about before. The short-term limited duration insurance uh, expansion, which we've also talked about, expanding the access to short-term medical plans, uh, which are basically just uh, low-cost, very affordable major medical plans. Uh, The association health plan basically allows uh, people in a similar industry that may be small businesses to pool together and act as a large business to buy group health plans, uh, even groups across state lines. So it just increases buying power to, to increase affordability and access to healthcare. The two other parts of that executive order that still have not happened yet is there was a, uh, an expectation of a release of, uh, the HRA rules, which are the health reimbursement accounts, which Allow an employer to make a contribution to an employee's healthcare purchases, uh, and the uh, that would be tax free for the employer and tax free for the employee. So it's technically not counted as wages to the employee. Sort of a win win on both sides of that equation. Uh, so those that new rule on HRAs is expected to be announced or released any time now, any any day of the week. They're you know the cake is is almost baked and they're ready to to start decorating that. Uh, and the other thing that came out of that executive order was they uh, were tasked with uh, the, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Labor, the Department of Treasury, and the Federal Trade Commission were all told to analyze everything they can in the healthcare system and find out how the, what changes they can make to improve competition uh, and choice. Uh, and so they created this choice and competition report. Uh, which is not a public document yet. Um but again, that is, is sort of in the final stages. And so what they did was invite uh, key stakeholders in healthcare and healthcare policy, uh, to the White House to just, dis- to sort of preview the report, kind of question what's in it and sort of guide the final stages of that report. And that was where our invitation came from. So we kind of got an, a sense of where the White House is going with this. Uh, and we were able to sort of help them sort of put the finishing touches on it, sort of give them some cautions uh, as to, you know, where they might you know, make some mistakes. And, and, and uh, it was a very interesting process. So we appreciated, you know, hearing from all the, the, uh, the organizations that I mentioned. They were all represented and had rep- uh, spoke about the process. So I got to put in some plugs about uh, direct primary care and, and uh, making sure that the direct primary care interests were represented in those in those reports. Uh, and I think people, when they do actually see the HRA rule, uh, uh, I think that they're going to get it mostly right. And the good news is there's going to be a comment period that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, see where they got it wrong and hopefully fix the areas where they got wrong and make them right. And I think when they go when they actually see this this choice and competition report they're gonna love it uh they're gonna love everything in there because I, I just don't think they left many stones unturned uh from what i'm from what i'm hearing and what they described i mean they really have uh addressed every major issue and my even minor issue that might improve choice and competition uh, but again this is just sort of an inventory of what is wrong uh with the system it's not an action plan it's not um, it's not actionable as it as as it stands it's going to require uh, legislation it's going to require more executive action it's going to require new rule writing and regulations um, so you know if Republicans do lose you know this, the house and or or do lose control of the Senate then essentially you could say take that document and Tread it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, if you like what's coming out in that document, then, you know, I think that that makes this election even, you know, uh, more important. Uh, again, we're not sort of advocating uh, for one party over another. I'm just saying if you like what's in that document, then um, then that's, you know, probably something you want to support going forward.
1: So who exactly creates the document and who is the intended audience? Um well i
0: think the intended audience is the american the american public
1: okay all right uh, i wasn't sure if this was supposed to go to policymakers in particular or that there were people particular entities who would formally receive this and comment on it or or whether it just goes out with a press release and whoever wants to grab onto it is, can comment you know i'm just i'm i'm a little naive on this i suspect the the listeners are too so i was just asking dumb questions yeah so i mean i think this,
0: this... The report itself is actually just an internal inventory for the executive branch to, to you know, see where they see the problems. You know, so I, I guess you could sort of see it as a, a, a blueprint or a roadmap to, you know, where they want to go or what issues they want to tackle. Um, but it is a it'll be a public document that anybody can can see and review.
1: Okay. Well we can probably you and I can probably talk about it on the air when it comes out and that'll be some grist for the mill, I suppose. It would be it sounds like something that's very interesting. And coming out, I guess, very soon, like you said. They're just decorating the icing on the cake, I guess. Yeah, that's the
0: sense I got that, you know, this was gonna be an imminent, you know, imminent uh uh release. So uh but it was nice to to again be able to sort of guide that particularly as to how it impacts the uh the direct primary care aspect of it. I really wanted to put in the plug as far as the HRAs go just because, you know, there are a lot of employers out there that want to use HRAs to pay for direct primary care memberships. And so we want to make sure that that rule uh, doesn't doesn't, uh, necessarily hamper their ability to do that and actually expands their ability to to work with DPC practices.
1: I guess that whole thing is in front of the Senate, right? Is that still to, to sort of switch topics slightly? But we talked about last time where that bill was going. And I guess it's still because the House passed it or. Yeah. So the,
0: there's a difference between the HRA and the HSA, yes. uh, the HRA uh, health reimbursement account, HSA health savings account. Uh, HSA is a bill that was passed by the House and is sitting in the Senate waiting for anything to happen. Um, okay. I think general consensus is nothing probably going to happen on that bill before uh, the midterms. Um, but if it does start moving, it still obviously needs lots of work based upon our previous conversations. Gotcha. You know, there's still areas that we're trying to work with, with lawmakers to try to teach them uh, how to make that a better bill. So we'll keep reaching out to them. And,
1: we got and about three minutes and 15 seconds left in the segment. So uh, let's pivot and talk about the uh, upcoming uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation's direct primary care meeting, because that's coming up in, what, six weeks, I guess? Something like that. So uh, how's it
0: going? November 1st to 3rd uh, in Orlando at the Rosen Center Hotel. Uh, This is going to be a record attendance for us. You know, we're looking at probably at least 350 attendees at this conference. Um, We're expanding the the, uh, reach of this program. So we're actually having a, a series of lectures specifically geared towards specialty care. Uh, we have a lot of specialists that are trying to embrace this the movement and, and, you know, I constantly get a question, well, how can specialists get involved in this? Well, so, you know, a lot of what the direct primary care of the TPC docs do is applicable to specialists, but some stuff is not. So we wanted to definitely reach out, you know, expand that umbrella even further and let more people come in under the umbrella. Uh, so I think you'll enjoy those talks specifically geared towards specialists. Uh, again, we have the tracks in the programs for the people that, are newbies at this are curious, or, and then we also have tracks for people that have been in this for some time. There's plenty of room for, for lots of people to learn more, even if you've been doing this as long as I've been doing it. Uh, we have fantastic national speakers, so we're going to have a day of just uh, very, uh, uh, very exciting uh, speakers that you'll really, really want to come and hear, so... Uh, if you don't have your tickets, go to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation website, d four, uh, d the number four pcfoundation.org dot org, and look for the Direct Primary Care CME. We're going to be offering CME for this conference. Uh, the free tickets are gone, so uh, the tickets that are left are non scholarship tickets. They are full price tickets, but those are also going fast. So if you haven't got your tickets, get them soon. We are well. <laughs> going to sell out of this conference.
1: Yes, no doubt we will. Both the, the 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 scholarship tickets are gone, and the the even the regular price tickets. I, I agree with you are going to be gone very soon. I, I am particularly intrigued as a specialist myself um, to see what sort of models are out there because we've been in our ear, nose, and throat practice. We've been, you know, tinkering with the idea. And, of course, there's a a direct primary care company that we're working with that does primary care, and and we're on their specialist board. But uh, it's I'm very curious because, you know, specialties are so different. You have very cognitive specialties, and you have very surgical specialties, and then you have specialties like uh, otolaryngology that that have a lot of both, which is why I love it, and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to plug those things into a – cash-based model that excludes third party is uh is something that uh, yeah that i'd like to hear and and i even as a specialist i've enjoyed all well both years now this being the third year uh coming up so um yeah i i think it's going to be worthwhile and pretty cool yeah we're really
0: excited we hope to again there's we're still uh, waiting on a couple actually one in particular big name uh, big name speaker is going to make a big splash so we're we're looking forward to making that announcement uh real soon
1: all right well we've reached the end of the segment thanks very much you've been listening to the doctor's lounge on america's web radio stay with us
2: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I am Dr. Michael Karuchek, MD. Here is your host today on the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Thank you very much for joining us. As you know, if you are a regular listener, we alternate every week with the Inimitable Doctor Hal Shirts, and together, supported by our sponsor, the Doctor Patient Care Foundation, we bring you the very best in healthcare. Policy Chat Radio. What makes us different? I mean, we've been here over four years. We're happy to be here in our fifth year. Uh, and over that time, there's been lots of copycats that have emerged, other shows, other podcasts that uh, profess to address the same range of topics that uh, we do. So what makes us different besides having been here first? Well, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only healthcare policy think tank Uh, staffed almost exclusively by full-time practicing physicians that means when we're not here in front of the microphone or we're not researching a topic on the late hours of the night or the weekend or we are not uh, talking to folks in washington that we know from the white house to congress and all the way around that we are taking care of patients all day, every day. Yesterday, I saw 27. Today, after I finish this show, I'm going to the office. I will see another 27 patients in the office. So we have the entire spectrum covered. We have folks in Washington that we talk to that keep us informed. We study on our own, and we take that book knowledge, that theoretical knowledge, and we apply it every day when we see our patients. And that gives us the ability to bring you wisdom, understanding, and insight That you are not going to find everywhere else. And in today's show with the stuff we're talking about, because CMS has been very busy, um, Congress has been very busy with rules, regulations, and legislation that directly affects doctors and patients in some very profound ways. And and so we're going to give you some insights on that, that, that unless... You spend time all day every day taking care of patients, having to code and bill for those visits, having to manage the finances of a practice as well as make sure your patients are well um, you 're not going to understand that unless you do all that, and that 's what we do and that 's what we intend to bring to you so thanks very much for your time. We intend to make this uh, upcoming hour worthwhile so let 's get started because the segments are short thirteen minutes, and we have a lot of ground to cover so the first thing we're going to get into is um, all of the rapidly moving chess pieces uh, that are happening in uh, in Congress and at CMS and, and in the White House that, that are, are changing the landscape or at least propose to change the landscape significantly with regard to health care and direct primary care, which, as you know if you listen, is one of our major – uh, talking points, perhaps the major talking point that uh, has emerged uh, over the four years that uh, we have been a foundation and, and the four years that we have been doing the uh, Doctors Lounge radio show. So let's talk about uh, uh, Congress first. And we talked about this last week uh, when we interviewed our our President, Dr. Lee Gross, who continues to be busier than than I can possibly imagine making all of this stuff work um, and uh, we 're going to replay in the latter half of the show the interview that we had with Lee because uh, it is such an important thing for you to listen to and know and understand if you 've heard it once it 's worth hearing again uh, because of the sheer Density of information. And if you haven't heard it before, but please, you've got to listen to the entire hour, even in pieces if you have to, uh, and understand the stuff that Lee had to say. But we're going to present sort of the sequel to to Lee's interview first. Um, The the direct primary care legislation we're talking about is that legislation which allows uh, individuals to use their health savings account money, pre-tax money, to pay their annual direct primary care fee remember direct primary care very briefly if you haven't heard already uh, sort of gets around insurance almost completely for um, for your care and does get around it completely for routine care you pay your primary doctor a regular monthly fee for essentially unlimited access and access to a range of services which includes of course doctor visits but it's also going to include potentially but not always routine labs You get a sprained ankle and you need a splint. You get a cut and you need sutures. Uh, You know, those sorts of basic primary care things. That range of services is available for a flat monthly fee, which is far less expensive than your insurance. And then wrapped around that is... Uh, cash fees for things like cat scans and more exotic labs, and then wrapped around that is a catastrophic insurance policy that covers the God forbid events such as cancer and car accidents and that sort of thing and That sort of uh, scheme to cover health care is far less expensive than traditional insurance, which, as you know, um, most recently under Obamacare, has had skyrocketing prices actually for decades, not just with Obamacare. Obamacare was just the latest chapter in in that long book. Um, but direct primary care reverses all that and makes health care far cheaper, and this legislation allows you to use pre-tax dollars in your health care savings account to pay the monthly fee for direct primary care. So last week when we talked to Dr. Gross, and you'll hear this again later in the hour, this, was, this bill got out of committee. Um, it had some significant issues, uh, the two biggest ones being a cap on how much the monthly fee can be and even worse – uh, strict limits on what a direct primary care physician can provide for that monthly fee. And that limit was limited to what we call E&M services or evaluation and management services. That means your doctor could see you under a monthly fee, but couldn't do anything else. If you need labs, you couldn't do it. If you needed your ankle wrapped because you sprained it in an inflatable splint put on it, they couldn't do that. Uh, And so there was, you know, stitch up a cut on your arm, couldn't do that. Uh, And so that really hampered the ability uh, of your direct primary care physician to be a little more than a consultant. You could talk a lot, but you couldn't do anything. Well, happily, happily, that provision has been removed. So the limitations based only on evaluation and management codes. So now under this bill, you can pay with your HSA pre-tax money, and your direct primary care physician is freer to provide you with stitches for a cut, splints for a, a, a twisted ankle, whatever, uh, and that's a huge win. That is a huge win, and Dr. Gross was a huge part of the effort to make that happen. So that's a very good thing. Um, there are still uh, monetary caps, 150 a month for an individual and 300 dollars a month for a family, which is a pretty high cap. I don't think anybody's going to bump up against that number, but the idea of setting caps on cost arbitrarily is a very slippery slope and still a problem. Uh, but I am also happy to report that the bill passed the House. 277 to 142 last week. I presume that's probably along party lines, although I haven't researched that. That's a pretty educated and probably pretty accurate guess. So part one of the moving chess pieces is that the direct primary care bill that allows us to use HSA pre-tax funds to pay for direct primary care has passed the House. And that, I think, is generally a good thing, although if you survey the DPC community overall, um, feelings are still a bit mixed uh, Congress has still uh, demonstrated its ability to screw up a one car funeral here and keep some limitations on direct primary care paid for by an HSA that, that caused some problems. And some of those problems have to do with conflicts between this federal proposed law and state laws, which I think in about almost half of states now to allow direct primary care. There is some conflicting language uh, that is that is still uh, you know threatens to create a problem. So part one of the moving chess pieces, the DPC bill is moving along, has passed the House, goes on to the Senate, where hopefully they can correct some of these fixes. Uh, We also know direct primary care will clearly be on the radar of the White House because of this, uh, as well as the tireless work uh, by Dr. Lee Gross and others. So that's part one. Part two uh, is something that you may have heard on the news uh, that uh, doesn't make a lot of it, it doesn't you don't notice it very much unless you understand the context and it has to do with this archaic sounding thing called a short-term limited duration insurance policy and uh, this is something that uh, obamacare sort of allowed but had a lot of restrictions on and the trump administration has issued a lot of uh, executive orders to expand this and, and and this will really help consumers it will especially be helpful with direct primary care, because remember, uh, as I said a few minutes ago, to have full health coverage under direct primary care, you need, number one, your DPC doctor and a monthly fee. Number two, um, your DPC doctor has uh, already negotiated highly discounted cash prices for more exotic, unusual services, such as if you need a CAT scan of your sinuses or your abdomen, let's say, that that cash price has been pre-negotiated. So that's kind of the, the first layer around the core DPC. And then the second layer is this catastrophic-only policy to cover the God forbid events like car accidents and cancer and that kind of thing. And uh, that's where these short-term limited duration insurance policies come in because those are ideal uh, to, to purchase a, a, a catastrophic policy. So you are now covered at all levels of care from the routine to the somewhat unusual to the highly unusual and potentially devastating there is now a plan for any of those um, situations and the trump administration has recently expanded um the 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 scope of short term limited duration insurance so that you can renew it um up to 3 years which is quite a long time and and things will change after 3 years so so 3 years is is a reasonable number to work with so um those are the the, the major Legislative and regulatory chess pieces that are moving around in the short term. Um, in addition, um, we've got some things that CMS is doing um, in, the, in the proposals for 2019, and uh, and some of these proposals are are pretty radical. They're they're pretty impressive. Um, I've got to say. Probably the biggest one are the proposed coding changes. For physicians uh, proposed for 2019. Now, before I explain what the changes are, you sort of have to understand where things are currently. And if you're a doc, you understand this already. uh, So bear with me. If you're not a physician, you need the walkthrough here so that you understand the significance of what CMS is proposing for Medicare. So when your physician sees you as a patient in the office, um, they bill insurance for that visit, of course. Um, That Billing is expressed as a code. It's called a CPT code. And uh, it's for for doctor visits, just the visit, not any other service. um, There's basically two types of uh, coding schemes. There is the scheme for if you're a brand new patient to that physician or that practice. uh, And within that scheme, there's level one through five. So level one is a super easy visit. You know, you had a, you know, you had wax in your ears or something really easy, or you had a, you know, scrape or something. Uh, and then those move on up to highly complex things. You know, you're a hypertensive diabetic with heart disease and a new diagnosis of cancer. That would be a level five. So level one is really easy, two, three, four in the middle, and level five. <clears throat> and they have those one to five scales for new patients and established patients. And as you might guess, payment for the established patients is less than pay- payment for the new patients, because you know the new patient already. You don't have to start a database from scratch. The staff doesn't have to work as hard to get them in the system. And so, understandably, new or follow-up patients pay less than new patients. Now, under the current scheme, and I have to look these numbers up. I wrote them down, so pardon the paper rattling here. Um, there is a range of services that uh, that run again from one to five with escalating uh, amounts of uh, of amounts so for example for a new patient the the current values range from forty five dollars for an easy level one visit up to two hundred and eleven dollars for a highly complicated visit so we've already reached the end of the segment we'll pick it up in segment two uh, you're listening to the doctor's lounge on america's web radio stay with us hello i'm dr mike karuchak have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear The Doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
3: You're listening to America's Web
2: Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down Docs docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four patientcarefoundation.org go to our site and please make a generous tax deductible donation and join the fight today thank you
1: welcome back to the doctor's lounge karuchak your host this week thanks very much for being with us on the doctor's lounge on america's web radio so picking right back up where we left off, uh, we were talking about and we had just we had already talked about the major things going on in Congress with the direct primary care bill and the ability to use uh, pre-tax health savings accounts money to pay your monthly fee for direct primary care. That's huge. But as we talked about, the bill's got some problems. Still, it's passed the House. Hopefully, the Senate can fix it. And if the Senate can't fix it, hopefully, Trump signs it if it's okay. And then we get some executive orders or some clarifications either from the White House or CMS to bring us something we wanted for a long time, which is the ability to use pre-tax money to pay your health care expenses through direct primary care. So that's a big deal. Coupled with that, we talked about uh, executive orders from the White House uh, expanding the use of uh, short-term limited duration uh, insurance plans that provide an excellent route to get catastrophic-only coverage outside – of the minimum essential benefits provision of the Affordable Care Act. And we may not have emphasized that enough in the last segment, so let me go over that again. Uh, we're talking about the the short-term, uh, limited-duration insurance uh, that uh, is inexpensive and allows you to uh, uh, go around the requirements, circumvent the requirements in the Affordable Care Act for minimum essential coverage. Because remember, that was one of the main problems with the Affordable Care Act was two things. One is it forced you to purchase insurance, and that's since been repealed, was in the tax cut bill. The second was it defined exactly what that insurance had to be. So there was no purchasing minimal coverage. This was, you know, maximal essential benefits, basically, which did things like make folks in their 60s and 70s pay for, you know, birth control and and child care services and that kind of thing. So now you can trim all that out and do a short-term, limited-duration insurance that um, that allows you to get around the minimum essential benefits, so that's huge. And in the direct primary care paradigm, allows you to purchase a wraparound catastrophic policy um, for a lot less money than than a Obamacare compliant policy would be. So those two things are huge. We talked about them in the last segment. We're moving on to what uh, the CMS is doing for Medicare and the proposals for changes in. Medicare payments for 2019. So the big one that we started to talk about was this whole idea of radically changing how your doctor is paid to see you in the office, just that basic, you get together, you have an interview, you do a physical examination, you come up with a diagnosis and a proposed treatment, right? They call that evaluation and management. And there is a coding system for billing Medicare as well as all other forms of insurance for that kind of evaluation and management, the, the doctor visit, no other services to go with that. And so there's, there's basically two types of codes. There's the new patient codes and the established patient codes. And under each of those schemes, there's a one to five spectrum From a level one visit being a super easy, super quick couple of minute visit that pays very little up through two, three, four and a level five visit that's extremely complex and may take 30 to 45 minutes to get through everything, uh, perhaps even longer if you bill for time only. Um, And and under the existing scheme, we talked, we were just getting into before we got to the break, what uh, what those how those break down. So a a new patient with a super simple level one problem, you only get paid forty five dollars currently up through a super complicated patient that you bill at a level five that you get $211. Um, established patients, it's a slightly lower range, runs from $22 for level one up to $148 for level five, because you don't get paid as much for a patient that you already know. And that makes sense, actually, believe it or not. What Medicare is proposing, what CMS is proposing, is that you take level two through level five and bundle it into one number. So think about that for a minute. That's a radical change. So now instead of five levels of payment, there are only two levels of payment. There's level one, which is super easy, and then there's two through five that all get bundled up into roughly the same number. And that number, interestingly, sits as the exact, almost the exact arithmetic average between the level three payment and the level four payment. So basically they're saying that anything between level two and level five, you're going to get paid at roughly a level three and a half, if that makes any sense. Now, why would they do such a thing? Why would they peg that average there? Well, this is where, you know, having a a full-time group, a group of full-time practicing physicians evaluate this information and let you know what it really means to your physician and what it means to you the patient. Um, they, they took the average between level three and level four. Why they do that? Well, because if you look at Medicare's data, it turns out that most doctors bill about 50% level three and 50% level four and just a tiny sliver of level two and level five and basically don't use level one at all, which is probably why level one is split off from this merger and stays by itself it also explains why the, 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 the bundled you know, sort of average payment for Level 2, Level 5 all being consolidated into one number is the average between Level 3 and Level 4 because that's kind of the weighted average of how doctors are billing anyway. So if you bill 50% Level 3 and 50% Level 4, then you know, your total payment for the next 100 Medicare patients that walks in the door should be theoretically, statistically unchanged – so I think the goal was to leave the, the aggregate amount of money that a physician got paid for a large group of Medicare patients to be unchanged. And the idea, the idea here, at least, was to reduce the documentation requirements so that you could basically see all of your Medicare patients and have a minimum level of documentation required being only level two. And part of this scheme also included uh, some other sort of fuzzy rhetoric talking about uh, that you only have to review changes in the database as opposed to reviewing the entire database. And, And because we do have that problem now, right, thanks to electronic medical records and meaningful use requirements working together, you know, we now have a situation where, you know, every patient gets documented at a level five because you click all of your normal buttons and uh, And so we have you know terabytes and terabytes of useless um, you know templated normal physical findings and review of systems and things that that just clog up the medical records. so I guess it's a reasonable good faith approach to try and get rid of that, but what 's the effect in the trenches? What's the effect uh, on doctors and patients working? Well, it depends upon how you bill as a physician. Um, If if you bill more Level 3 than Level 4 currently, you'll win under this scheme. If you're a a heavy Level 4, Level 5 biller, you're going to lose money under this scheme, and that's probably what they want. The problem here is it's going to make – since Level 2 bills pays the same as the Level 5, everyone's going to get treated like a Level 2. And I think that's a problem. I think what's going to happen here is you're going to see doctors put more appointment slots in their day and see patients more quickly because now you can, you can treat everybody like a level two and bill them like they're a level five. But we'll see. I mean, that's all highly speculative. I think I understand what CMS is trying to do here. Uh, I think I understand why they came up with the numbers that they came up with because it has to do with the proportions of how doctors bill level three versus level four. And um you know, once again, it points out how exceedingly complicated the E and M billing scheme is and makes direct primary care look that much better. Right? Why is it that we have to have a third party overseeing the doctor-patient relationship and having to force itself into the relationship after the fact, after the care is delivered? We now have yet another overly complicated effort by CMS to measure value and measure payment when it makes a whole lot more sense to let the patient do those things, right? It makes far more sense to have a direct primary care arrangement where the patient pays a certain amount per month for essentially unlimited access, and the patient can decide how much that doctor's worth and if the price is appropriate or it's too high uh, and has the chance to vote with their pocketbook. Uh, It's a far better way, just like the rest of the free market operates, to align everyone's incentives, uh, keep everybody on the same page. Um, You know, this – again, this this whole thing still – you know, I I guess I applaud them for trying to do something. And, you know, Seema Verma and Azar, you know, they've been there long enough to dig their heels in and try to make some uh, intelligent changes. Uh, I can't fault them for that. But, boy, you look at the whole thing and say this is still lipstick on a pig. Let's just – get rid of that whole system and let everybody go to direct primary care for at least their primary care services. Specialty care can be cash up front, which puts downward pressure on those prices. Um, and uh, it just – the more they the, – the, the fancier the plumbing, the easier it is to stop up the drain, I suppose. Now in the last 3 minutes that we have here in segment 2, uh, I'm going to talk about some other things that Medicare is doing which are I almost have to say I like them, right? I just finished sort of damning with faint praise this these proposals to the ENM coding and payments, but but let's talk about another one here that's really really big and this has to do with something you may not even understand exists in the first place. Um, and it has to do with the fact that Medicare pays different prices for the same Service based on where that service is performed. I mean, think about that for a minute. What if what if you had two car dealers on either side of the street selling the same car and on one side of the street, the car was twenty thousand dollars and on the other side of the street, the car was forty five thousand dollars. Well, what would happen? We think the obvious thing is that everyone would go to the side of the street where the car is cheaper, and that may be true, but the other thing that happens is this. The car manufacturer is going to put all of their dealers on the expensive side of the street, and that's exactly what happens in Medicare because of facility-based payments. That means for the very same service, whether it's a doctor visit, a lab, or a CAT scan, or radiology or imaging Medicare pays way more for that visit if it's in a hospital facility than if it's in a freestanding facility. What a horrible, horrible concept! Um, the cool thing here is that they're changing that slowly, but this year, 2019, may have some radical changes. Uh, you know, again, this is a terrible concept to start with. This site-specific payment, and it's it's been the driving force behind a lot of the acquisition by hospitals of facilities. Because now you can move that facility from an independent category into the hospital category. And so the same bricks and mortar can suddenly charge three times as much to Medicare and get that money just because of who owns it. Now, there are some nuances to that, and the law is far more complicated. I'm admittedly oversimplifying things a little bit. But what Medicare is now proposing for clinic visits, at least to start, for clinic visits to pay the same amount of money. Right, right now for your average clinic visit, if you, if you get that visit in a doctor's office, the average payment is $46. Um, in, in a hospital facility, it's $116, like two and a half times as much. Well, now the proposal is to bring that number down to the same $46 regardless of where you get that. So now this is huge, and as you can imagine, you know the American Hospital Association and some similar associations have come out violently against this, vehemently against this, uh, saying that it's going to cut off access for the sickest patients. It's going to do a lot of bad things, uh, and you know again, it's it's they're they're protecting their own pockets, but it's huge. Um, We are at the end of the uh, segment. You're listening to the Doctors' Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us.
3: Thank you. or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.atlantahealingcenter.com.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Kuruchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get in. A-